Good morning. The Bible reading this morning is found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 103, found on page 485 in, I thought it was the Red Pew Bible, but Ian tells me they're maroon. So Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or pay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and the kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord on his works everywhere in this dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is the word of God. Friends, uh, good morning and welcome. First Sunday of the new year. It's great to be together. Thank you for coming. And uh, great to see some people that I haven't met before, new people uh, to our church. So at the end of the service, don't assume the person next to you has been coming for a long time. Uh, this morning we've got a mixture of our 9 o'clock congregation, 11 o'clock congregation, and new people who have joined us. So take the opportunity to introduce yourself and uh, ask them how long they've been at church here. Invite them to our morning tea afterwards. We'd love to uh, make all those people who are new very welcome uh, at our service today. Let me ask you this question. It's 2024. Is there joy in your soul today? Are you rejoicing in Christ your Saviour for all of his blessings. Are you maybe persevering through the highs and lows of life with Christ's exalting joy? You may be having a high, you may be having a low, as some of us are. But on the first Sunday of the new year, it's good to celebrate God's goodness. It's vital that, <coughs> excuse me, as Christians, that we develop a gratitude attitude. In Psalm 103, we see a wonderful call to gratitude. The men and women of God, the boys and girls of God, are going to be those who find in Christ an amazing joy 
that is able to sustain them through good and bad and bring them ultimate satisfaction. And first thing I call a gratitude, he says, I love this, praise the Lord, my soul. And uh, the earlier version said, praise the Lord, O my soul. And all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. Forget not all his benefits. And at the end of the psalm, 22 verse B says, praise the Lord, my soul. He begins with praising the Lord. He finishes at the end with praising the Lord. He's talking to himself. Anyone ever done that? I do it all the time. Not because I'm crazy. Oh, probably. <laughs> but because there's value in speaking to yourself and telling yourself what you ought to be thinking, what you ought to be believing, what you ought to be holding on to. And David's talking to himself, to his soul, as he puts it. He's prodding himself, prompting himself, urging himself, stirring himself up to praise and bless the Lord. Sometimes we need that, don't we? And to bless the Lord and praise the Lord is to say good things about the Lord in a spirit of admiration and gratitude and wonder. God, you are so good. God, your mercy, there's nothing like it. God, you created everything. God, you're powerful. You speak good things about our God. He prods himself. Praise the Lord, soul, he says. Remember his benefits. Don't forget them. Speak of his wonders. Tell of his greatness. Sometimes we are ungrateful children. Sometimes we take God and our blessings for granted. Sometimes we need to prod ourselves to give thanks. And sometimes, friends, in the midst of our physical, mental, emotional struggles, we can't, cannot see nor appreciate the blessings of God. We need to learn, like David, to plead with our own souls. In prayer, alone, with our brothers and sisters, to help us to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus, all that he has given us. Praise my, the Lord, my soul. Come on, Ange. Praise the Lord. Why do you sleep before God? Ange, get up. Do you not see, Ange? I'm talking to myself again. What God has done for you in the cross. Do you see Jesus dying for you? Ange, have you forgotten the power of the resurrection? The filling of the Holy Spirit. The gospel going to the nations. Ange, have you forgotten? Talk to yourself. Prod yourself to see the beauty and the glory of God's blessings upon you. We must preach to ourselves, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. All that is within me, not just a part of me, if you're going to be useful to God in 2024, God just doesn't want a part of you, he wants all of you, with all that is within you, to praise him with every fiber of your being. Bless God. And after two verses of self-prodding, David gives reasons for praising the Lord from verses 3 to 19. He prods himself verses 1 to 2, come on. And then he lists the reasons he ought to praise and rejoice in his God. And then as he lists those things in verses 3 to 19, and he remembers all that God has done, he gets to the end of it and he goes, okay, not just me, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding. All you guys... Flying around in heaven, you angels, you too, praise the Lord. 
You heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He starts with himself. He reminds himself to praise the Lord. And at the end of the story, as he describes for us the beauty of God, the character of God, he says, everyone, everywhere, heaven and on earth, would you praise this God with me? Friends, that's all I want this morning. I don't want much from you or from me other than to, to so be captured by the beauty of God and say, man, oh, God is so good. I want to live for him. I want to live for his glory. I want to die for his glory if that is what the Lord wants. And friends, when we go to our ghost series in February, on February the 11th, a seven-week series on going, why do we go? Because we don't simply want to trust in the Lord ourselves, but we want men and women in our community, men and women across the nations to see the beauty of God and praise him as well. And we want to train and equip ourselves and urge ourselves to be a part of that. But secondly, he's enthralled by God's grace and blessings. What is it? He said, bless the Lord my soul, forget not all his benefits. And he lists them one by one, doesn't he? And firstly, there's God's grace in his personal experience, verses 3 to 5. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It seems as if David has composed this psalm in the wake of some fairly recent deliverance. There seems to be a close link between sin and disease in verse 3. So just maybe an incident in his life where he has grieved God and God has disciplined him through an illness. God sometimes does that. But please note here that it is not true that all illness is a direct result of personal sin. We know that. Jesus taught us that. John 9, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents. Jesus said, you are thinking incorrectly here. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. In this fallen world, the pain isn't distributed in direct proportion to a person's guilt, is it? And sometimes we say, God, why not? <laughs> sometimes the innocent suffer, the guilty prosper. The cross of Christ makes this truth very clear indeed. The righteous one died in the place of the unrighteous to bring us back to God. Now we don't know the details of David's recent illness, but he clearly felt that he had brought it on himself by his moral failure. It was a life-threatening condition. He was on the edge of death, it says, at the pit, which is a reference to death. But his personal crisis has passed. The situation has been resolved. The illness has been cured. The death sentence has been remitted. And it seems from verse 5 that David, has come, having come through this illness, feels fitter now than for many years. He said, my youth is renewed like the eagles. So, wow, God has brought me through that. And now I'm healthier, fitter, in a better position. And he attributes his remarkable recovery to God. That's why he begins, praise the Lord, O my soul. 
Praise the Lord for healing, for forgiveness, for saving him from death, for giving you good things, for renewed life and energy. Friends, some of you have walked this path over the last 12 months. Cancer treatments, surgery, hospitalisation. And you are still with us because God has been merciful to you. He has restored you. But what happens when God doesn't heal you when you or a loved one dies? Because that has happened many times too. Many have lost loved ones this past year. Many are grieving going into this year. Some are about possibly to go to glory very soon. And I say that to glory. Because when you trust in Jesus, it is not a loss to die, it is a glory to die. Amen? It's a loss for us, but it is not a loss for them. Because we live this side of the cross, we understand there is life eternal. But we praise the Lord through our tears and our prayers, through the love of our Christian community, through holding on to God's promises by keeping a Christ-centered and eternal perspective. Ruth Barker, who may not have long to live, has said to me many times she is ready to be, meet her saviour. She turns 96 in three weeks. She may not get there. But she continues to pray and to witness. Just the other day she was in hospital. She came home, Louise Vance tells me. She came home, she was so thrilled because even though she went to hospital on Tuesday, then on Thursday, then had a stroke uh, just a day or so ago, she said, I had an opportunity to witness to Jesus at the age of 95 in the hospital. See, there's a God perspective. When you know Jesus and you're on your way out to glory, you can still witness for him and rejoice in him. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Praise the Lord, O my soul, I add. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. We are mortal. Christians are the most realistic people in the world. We know we will die. My wife and I sometimes are talking about death as non-Christian non friends and they, they take a step back. Why are you talking about death? Don't mention the word as if by mentioning the word you will die. Right? I said because we are realists. Every breath we take is by the grace of God. Every year we have is by the grace of God. Every opportunity to bless others is by the grace of God. I have no guarantee that I'll be here tomorrow. And then, having talked about his own life, he moves to the grace in the life of Israel. He just gives you point after point from verses 6 to 19. God is not only good to me, you see. He looks at the nation of Israel. He's a God of righteousness and justice, he says in verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He remembers when God set his people free from Egypt and brought them into the promised land. He remembers when God judged his own people because of their sinfulness. God is righteous. He brings justice. He sees the, the oppressed and God is on the side of the poor, on the side of the oppressed. We see that right throughout their Bibles. The prophets speak against the nation when they do not care for the poor and the oppressed. So we would be praying for Gaza and for Israel, for Palestinians as well as Israelis. For those in Ukraine and Russia, those in Yemen and Somalia and Myanmar, pray for God's justice to come, God's righteousness to come. 
knowing ultimately the final judgment will bring ultimate justice. But he's also God of revelation, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. He remembers that God is a God who speaks. Friends, your God speaks and he has spoken in his word. And therefore, if God speaks as he spoke to Moses and we have a record of God's revelation, we need to be reading the word and studying it. And this year again, uh, I have started the Bible in the Year with Nicky Gumbel. This is my fourth year. I'm very slow, so I'm hearing his sermons and reading the Bible, Psalms, New Testament, Old Testament, every day again. And sometimes I get lazy to read it, so I, I sit there with my coffee and I pray, press play. And he reads it to me. <laughs> and some other voices are reading the Bible. And I'm sitting there with my Bible, not just listening to the news, but I'm listening to the Word of God. And something else I've discovered helpful, I'm listening to Nikki speak, or someone read the Bible, and I'm following it on the text as well. Because I want the Word of God uh, to be in my mind. I need to believe it and to let it mould me. And I also get some daily reflections by John Piper. They come in the evening. So I read that before I go to bed. And there's a friend in this church who anonymously sends Bible verses to people. He may send it to you. I don't know where he gets your numbers from or mine, but he found it. So I read his verse as well. If God has spoken, take in the word. He's a God of revelation. He's a God of grace and compassion. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Aren't you thankful for that? He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He's quoting here Exodus 34 verse 6. The words of God himself to Moses after the children of Israel lapsed into the idolatrous worship of the golden calf. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, that's Yahweh, Israel's God, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Friends, it's an encouragement today to know that when you come back to God, he forgives. He restores you. He deals with your failures. Don't run from God. Run to God in 2024 when you fail. And praise him for his forgiveness. For he's a God of pardoning grace. And you see, there are different aspects of God's grace. Firstly, he's a, he shows generous mercy. I love that. Generous mercy. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God wants to show mercy, not judgment, not wrath. We don't get what we deserve for our sins and failures. Instead, we receive mercy. And friends, at communion in a few minutes, we're going to remember that mercy. I read of an incident in the life of Napoleon, the French emperor, a few hundred years ago. Now, a young deserter was brought before the emperor, and the emperor ordered that he be shot. The young man's mother came forward and begged for her son's life, said, Emperor, please have mercy on my son. He retorted, he doesn't deserve any mercy. To which she said, if he deserved mercy, it would not be mercy. The woman was right. 
God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He shows mercy. Christ dies in our place. We are set free. Soul, will you praise the Lord? In his magnificent love, verse 11, for as high, he paints the picture, as high as the heavens are above the earth and they're way out there, so great is his love for those who fear him. He's trying to describe the immensity, the awesomeness of God's love. And he looks up and he says, wow, as far, that, that's how great God's love is. Have you ever had this interaction with your kids? They come to you. Daddy, how much do you love me? And the kids come like this and say, Daddy, how much do you love me? Do you love me this much? Daddy, do you love me this much? Daddy, do you love me this much? Daddy, you love me this much? Daddy says, oh, I love you more than that. Right. David plays his game with God. His arms are simply not long enough to describe the immense, magnificent love of God. And there is complete forgiveness because of that love. Verse 12, far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Friends, God detaches our sin from us and moves it to a place, he says, so far away that God can't see it. It's an image. God can see everything, but, you know, he says, takes it so far away that God can't see it. And uh, a number of years ago, uh, I was walking at Cronulla Beach at 5.45am. Don't know what I was doing there at that time in the morning. Normally I'm in bed. But it was probably my daughter was training at Cars Park. She was a swimmer early mornings. And I would drive uh, to Cronulla and have a walk. And I remember seeing the sunrise. Spectacular it was. Rich, orange, red and yellow. The sun rose for the day. It looked like it was rising out of the vast ocean. It was majestic. But as I saw the sunrise, I didn't see the sunset. One writer puts it this way. You can't witness the sunset and the sunrise simultaneously. When God forgives us, he puts our sins and us on two different horizons. So when he looks at our sin, he is no longer looking at us. When he looks at us, he is no longer looking at our sin. He so separates us from our sin. He has found a way of detaching our sins from us so that he condemned the one, the sin, without condemning the other, which is us. David's giving this wonderful picture. That far away, God can't see them. And there's tender compassion. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Friends, whenever I read these words, thinking of the compassion of God, I think of the parable of the prodigal son. You know the son in Luke 15, he said to his father, I want my inheritance now. Effectively, he's saying, Dad, I want you dead. Just give me my money. He runs away. He spoils it all. He spends it all in wild living. He humiliates his father. He insults his father. He shames him in the whole community. Then one day he comes back. He came back for mercy. He came back for grace. He had nowhere else to turn. He comes back guilty, fearful, a failure, yet full of remorse, hoping for a chance to start again. And what does his father say? What does his father do? When his father saw him, while he was still a great way off, he was filled with compassion for him. That's your picture of God. That's your picture of God. 
And if you have been a rebellious child in 2023, it doesn't have to stay that way. Come back. If you're living a life that is not godly, that is not true to the word of God, and uh, you're living a secret life that no one knows about, come back. Because God knows, and he wants to show compassion to you. Intimate understanding, verse 14, for he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. God gets us. He understands our human frailty. We're not perfect, we fail, we're weak. But God has dependable faithfulness, despite our mortality. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. Like, that's all we are, in one sense. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey, obey his precepts. Verse 15 reminds me that life is short, for somebody is very short. One of the most tragic situations I had to face was, uh, not personally, but something happened to a friend of mine, uh, a fellow in my year group at school at Enmore Boys High School, the year after we left school, was out on a farm property with a whole bunch of boys, shooting pigs and other things. Uh, I don't know what happened there, but he ended up shooting dead one of the other 18-year-old boys. So all these guys who at one time mucking around having fun with their youths are now facing a homicide. And not only was this guy shot dead there, but his brother was also at the same site, at the same venue. I remember going to the uh, Greek Orthodox Church in Newtown a week or so later for the funeral and being a young man of 18 who also played uh, soccer or football for uh, a state league side. It was packed to overflowing. Why I mention this today is that because the priest rang or read from Psalm 103. I still remember the priest saying these verses, the life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a flower of the field, the wind blows over it and it is gone, and this place remembers it no more. What hurt even more is that I knew this man did not know Jesus. I knew all those people gathered there did not know Jesus. They were living for themselves. They were living for sin. They were living for immorality. And now they were gathered. And it was a service without hope. In fact, the father wore a black armband to that service. For the next year or two, whenever I saw him on the streets, he had the black armband on the loss of his son. No hope of eternity, no belief that there is mortal life for those who trust in Jesus. Absolutely lost. Friends, let me tell you that life is appallingly meaningless if you don't know Christ. And God is sovereign in sovereign control, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. We start 2024 believing and knowing that God is in control of the universe he will work all things for the good of those who love him, have been called according to his purpose. God one day will come and create new heavens and a new earth. There will be no more evil, no more pain, no more death. Soul, praise him. 
Are you a grateful child? Do you need to plead with yourself today? Soul, praise the Lord. We must shake off any apathy, fight down any depression, repent of any rebellion. We need to instruct our souls to give God the praise that is due to his name. And if you're a Christian, let me say you are more blessed than David. For David knew little or nothing of the spiritual blessings which are ours in Christ Jesus. When he tried to find a measure of God's love, the best he could do was look at the height of the sky. We can do better. We look to a cross on a hillside called Calvary, which for us is a far greater measure of the love of God than even the unfathomable depths of the universe. The arms of the cross fling wide open to show us the passion that tears the heart of God because of our sin. David is right. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He has not just removed our transgressions from us to an infinite distance. He has placed those sins on himself and borne the penalty for them. Friends, David was blessed because God redeemed his life from the pit of death while he has redeemed our lives from the pit of hell. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Amen, and to God be the glory.